0: Hello and welcome back to the Epsom Insight podcast.
1: This is an episode which we recorded last spring alongside Hyphen for the Wellbeing Hub.
0: Hyphen is a BBC Future Sounds artist who has played at Reading and Leeds Festival and is a mental health spokesperson for Formula E. He also does many talks across schools in the UK to destigmatise mental health.
1: We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Hyphen, why don't you just, why don't you just explain to us a bit about your general why you decided to get into mental health, why you got into music, that sort of things. Yeah, so it's a
2: podcast, so it's long form, so I can kind of ramble a bit. And if it's rubbish, you can edit it out. Um, I went to a school called Habs, which if you know it, it's like quite academically focused. Maybe you play them and beating them at rugby or something. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was a fairly academically focused school. I felt quite pressured by my parents' Uh, by the school I was in. I hadn't really got any sense of self of what I cared about, what I liked doing, what I enjoyed. So I just did what I thought I was meant to do, which basically meant doing a bunch of stuff which I didn't actually particularly like. Uh, And that meant the A-levels I chose weren't the ones I was particularly interested in. The uh, university I went to was for subjects which I wasn't particularly interested in either. So I did like philosophy and economics at university, and I then got a job in finance. Again, probably at no point in that set of choices did I ever really think, what do I want to do? It was all, this is what I'm expected to do. This is what society deems valuable for whatever reason. Then when I was about 20. Unfortunately, a very close friend of mine passed away who uh, was a guy I went to school with. And at the time I was working in a job in finance, which I thought was like the dream thing. I I remember getting that job and thinking, or I mean, it was a placement, but I remember thinking this is the best thing that's ever gonna happen to me. I was so happy. I was like, wow, I made it. You know, all that hard work at school, I'm, I'm here. Started doing the job. relatively shortly after my friend passed away. And I was like, one, I don't really like this job or at least it's not what I thought it was going to be. Two, I've just had this very frank exposure with death, with um, dealing with things that I never thought I'd have to deal with at that age. And so like a combination of all these things made me really reevaluate. That was probably the first time in my life I was like, wait, what do I actually want to do? Like, what do I care about? And when I, did, when I actually asked that question and it was answered, it was, I just started writing how I was feeling in that moment. And it wasn't very good. Um, and what I was feeling wasn't very good. Uh, I think I was having, at the time, I was having my own mental health issues. And I started writing and then it felt like this kind of Eureka moment of like, hey, this is something you can do, you know? And then I kept doing it, I kept doing it, I kept doing it and I've had jobs in between, I've had other things happen in between, but kind of that's basically how it started. And then the next seven years, maybe we'll cover some of that in the podcast, but that's how it started. That, the passing of my friend was kind of my first exposure to someone uh, with, with like mental
1: health things. And that's why, one of the reasons why I care so much about it. Would you say that music's helped you to sort of understand your, friend's, your friend passing away and your own mental health, would you say? Generally, as a society, we use music to help mental health and understand feelings and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. I was randomly, uh, you know, the song Goo Goo Dolls, Iris. I think neither of you were born uh, when this song came out. I was about five or six. Yeah, it's it's a great song. Yeah, I mean, it's about five or you know, I I was pretty young when it came out as well. And uh, it's a moody song, and like the lyrics, like I don't want the world to see me. I don't think that they would understand. Um, Everything's made to be broken. I just want you to know who I am. It's like a really like sad, poetic thing. Now, everyone loved that song. I love that song. And, but like, when you actually think about what the guy is saying, the guy's just saying, I have a mental health problem. Like I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling low. Like he's not in a great way. And at that time, when there wasn't this like wider societal understanding of mental health, which has definitely gotten better over the past, I don't know how many years. Like this was a discussion about mental health. And I think music does have a way of Trojan horsing certain emotions in a kind of more palatable way. Um, So yes, definitely it does help process things. But I would also say, and caution, like don't get me wrong, music really helped me. It helped me express things. And I'll come back to a point on that in a second. But I would hate for anyone to take away the conclusion that to deal with all our mental health problems, all we need is an acoustic guitar. Um, it 's a lot more complicated than that right and and you do need conversations like these, you need like therapy there 's space for all these things I think it 's a great way to kind of open the discussion up, but it definitely shouldn 't be the it 's the start of the discussion, not the end uh and as a kind of example of that i 'm sure we 'll talk about this at various points in the podcast but i 've after friends have passed away and after various mental health things i 've seen a therapist, and the thing I would notice that would happen is that I'd have written a song about a year and a half, a year before I'd ever consciously acknowledged that I'd been feeling something in the context of therapy. So it's great that I expressed it in a certain way, but in order to deal with it more consciously in a thoughtful way of like how I deal with this on a day-to-day level, it wasn't enough just to like write it in a song. So it definitely is helpful, but it's not the whole, yeah, don't let that be the whole picture. I
0: think there's a lot more to it. No, I definitely understand. I mean, I've since age about eight I've done a lot of music myself as well from more classical Mm. instruments to jazz to other again maybe trying out writing out songs it's definitely been at least a hobby or for at least if something's not even just a simple day-to-day not feeling great Mm. it gives you sort of an escape yeah which it's nice to have I think hobbies are really important to release yourself from your normal day-to-day. Mm. Obviously, they can turn into something a lot more than a hobby, so it can turn into a career if you really wanted to. But I think it's quite interesting to see the the impact it has on you emotionally and yeah. uh, just on a surface level, because obviously, as you said, it can really go into... It won't fix something like depression for, for a normal person, but it will help them, just on a superficial level, Just understand... Bit more about themselves, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think a, a good litmus test. And I, I, I do this talk, and I've talked to your school about it. And I always give this example that um, there was a point in time where I was feeling suicidal, and I wrote it down. And then, with kind of all emotions, humans do this, right? We, we sort of forget the trauma of certain things quite quickly. An example of this for me is I've seen on TikTok and various other social media places, people being like, oh, I miss lockdown. No one was saying that during lockdown. No one was like, oh my God, I love this. This anxiety inducing global pandemic is making me feel great about myself. No one said that. But somehow we managed to forget. And I think it's a good thing, actually, that we don't go around like constantly panicking about things. But the downside of that is that sometimes you can feel something really profoundly sad and like in a month's time be okay and just kind of think, ah, oh, I guess it wasn't that big a deal. But when you write it down, whether that's in a song or you talk to a friend about it, you kind of have this, you're giving yourself like a data set of like, you know, I was feeling at this point. And once you, once you put it out into the world, it becomes something that you kind of have to deal with and you can't just ignore it anymore. It isn't just like a passing thought. And so I think it's really valuable you know for that reason to document it's all yeah you're you're self-documenting your thoughts which is a valuable
1: exercise i think for anyone i think your point about recognizing the problem because it's a key point to go if you look back on it make sure that we don't go it wasn't a problem because it's very easy to say i'm fine now yeah so for you being aware doing music and helping you and then talking about it and all the other things, it's then also important to, to to stick and understand that that was a problem and how you dealt with it. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is just that self-documentation.
2: Again, this is an example I give during the talks um, that it sticks in people's mind because it's a crass analogy. But, you know, say you go to the toilet and you pee, right? You know by the colour of your urine whether you're dehydrated or not, Right you ideally want to be in that place of your own mental health, right? Where you see something, you feel something, and you're like, oh, I'm feeling this, which means I know I need to do this. Like, there's a mechanism to deal with certain feelings. So for me right now, like, being very honest, I think I've just done too much recently. I'm feeling kind of lacking sleep. And I know I get a little bit, I don't know, I feel a less sharp, I get a bit a little, potentially more irritable, don't worry, I'm not going to be irritable on the podcast. But and but now, like, you know, five years ago me, ten years ago me would have been like, oh, get on with it, man up or whatever. Now I'm like, oh, my God, just have an early night. You know what I mean? You, you And then the more you understand yourself, the more you're able to kind of balance yourself out and keep yourself in a healthy, happy way. And the starting point of that is that self-documentation, however you do it, whether it's through music, whether it's through just... I mean, the best way is just to talk to people, but... Um, for me, initially, I found it very difficult to talk to people, so writing it down was this very useful first step.
1: Yeah, I agree. So to your point about how so society and self-documentation of how you feel with phrases like man up, mm-hmm. I think talk, especially talking with friends and family, family particularly with older generations, my perspective on it, I find interesting because I believe that using phrases like man up Isn't beneficial because it sort of detracts from the problem. And it sort of explaining and talking about it with people of older generations, like my parents, it's interesting because once they get the concept and your point of view, I think that just shows it's as much about education as understanding. Would you? So, yeah, definitely, definitely.
2: Yeah, and a lot of the time, people get caught up in. like the language of it, the ideology of it, the they associate things with things that they don't need to be associated with. So I'll explain that. So um, I'll go to that point, but then I want to talk about, I have a speculation to do with the phrase man up and why that was a thing, which could be completely wrong, but for me it makes some intuitive sense. So in terms of the, um, like... In fact, what was the first... Sorry, I think I'm going to go on too much of a tangent if I don't... What what specifically do I need to answer here? My
1: question was, have you, which I didn't directly ask, but have you, through your talks, felt the impact and seen your talking about it and education is important because some people might not, as a base point, even understand or sort of recognise the concept of the actual yes. issue or stigma at hand. Amazing. Okay. Thank you. That's very
2: that's a good question. So definitely. I think there's so many misconceptions about so many things to do with mental health. So taking a specific example, therapy, right? Even like almost I've never seen a show ever that shows a therapist as a constructive, helpful character in a programme, ever. And maybe that's just the TV I've watched, but like I've never seen it. And like the even shows like Fleabag, I don't know if anyone's with Fleabag, it was a really good show. It's a very like progressive, socially conscious show. But even in that, so it's not some, you know, really, you know, old-fashioned show. Like it's really modern, it's really new. Like the the therapist is essentially shown as this character who's like trying to dissect your brain in real time and throw out pieces and expose you for what you really are and all these very unhelpful, very harmful, uncomfortable things. Actual therapy is probably the whole point of it is to create an environment where you're not judged. Like the whole point of it is to make an environment where you feel you can say things that you couldn't say in any other environment. You say things at a pace that are comfortable for you. The a therapist is never trying to trip you up. They're never trying to, like, beat you <laughs> mentally, right? Um, the therapist, I, I mean, I've seen a therapist on and off for a few years. He's, like, the best, friendliest human being I've ever met.
0: I think a lot of people need to be reminded that yeah. the therapists are just humans. Like, I mean, most of the time, it's first just conversation. And they're there to help you. Exactly. Like, they're there to... Most of the time, they agree with you or they just ask the right questions. they to guide the right time. you, you know, they're not.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: The, I mean, there's a company now called, I think it's The Self Space, which is opening up quite a few clinics around, uh, on high streets around the UK. Yeah. Um, there's one in, I think Shoreditch, which their founders, they're, they're basically just encouraging therapy to anyone and everybody it's literally just pop in for a 45-minute session, then why not? Yeah. Like, you just have a chat, have a coffee, yeah. go along your day. Because that's what it is. I mean, there's no perception of a, you have to be in therapy five times, a, five times a week. There's still that perception around, which I think is really, it's an issue to try and get rid of because it really stigmatizes everything, everything around the term mental health.
2: Yeah, and that is to your point, the thing about education that um, I think if anyone takes anything from the talks, let it be that, right? I mean, there's a lot of things I say, and hopefully they resonate, but one of the biggest things is definitely, and the example I always give is Tyson Fury. I love boxing, he's fighting this Saturday. Um, and it, like, you know, he's a problematic guy for many reasons, but he's kind of unquestionably manly, coming back to that whole man up thing. The guy's like six foot nine and he could beat like every human that's ever lived up, right? He's, he's, he's manly. And this guy likes he's a therapist. And you're like, I think that example is like an education point, which breaks some misconceptions down. Cause you're like, Hey, wait a minute. I thought manly means this and therapy means this, but then actually they both coexist, which may means that they don't mean what I thought they mean. But yeah, there's a lot, I mean, this God, doing my parents with this stuff as well, right? Like they, misunderstand so many things everyone misunderstand like my my friend had a um he had a good way of putting it like with medical problems we have such a rich history of understanding medicine we have thousands of years of medical practice of medical study of and obviously we have that with mental health in some cases but like it's newer like, we've only been talking about mental health as if... Th- like, when I was at school, we definitely wouldn't have had a podcast on mental health. We wouldn't even had podcasts, but that's beside the point. Like, we, w- we definitely wouldn't have been talking about I was depressed. Like, it just... W- and that's, and that like, you know, not that long ago.
0: Um, and so, of course, there's mis- misconceptions around it. Just on that point, I've... Just a question I've sort of been thinking about recently is how much of it is everyone's now realising more about themselves and having more issues within themselves, or how much of it is, uh, because of things such as, like, external factors from lockdown and stuff like that, or how much of it is actually, there have always been this issue, but it was talked about in different ways. Like, something which I've realised is that older generations, they were naturally more religious. So they found a a sort of self-help in praying. This is something which I've spoken to older generations about and they've said yeah like my coping mechanism to an extent was praying which I personally only resonate to a certain extent like for me if I just prayed I don't think I get through any of my issues but like it's interesting to see how much Mm -hmm. of it is because we're talking about it more so more people are found out have more issues or if it's just there's always been these issues, but different ways of coping with it. God, you guys
2: are very smart. Um, there, I think there's, there's so many things there. So one, there's the, okay, is, did these issues always exist? Or, and we're talking about it more, or are there more reasons to have these issues? And on that, I would say there probably is an element of both. Lockdown is pretty scary, but I would lean towards saying, people have been depressed for ages. Like, People have, been, like, I have so many relatives who will be like, you mental health, ah, oh, children and their problems. And I was like, you're definitely depressed. You've been depressed for 50 years. You're just miserable, right? People, like, it's 100% been a thing. Like, I've seen family members who just, like, clearly are having a panic attack, clearly. But then the next day, they'll be like, oh, no, it's fine. It was just too much coffee. I'm like, it wasn't. So I think these things have always existed. And now people are getting permission to speak about them in ways that they weren't allowed to. And in a sense, I know I sometimes tend towards doing this of feeling a little bit, maybe resentful is too strong a word, but you feel kind of like people who are older, like they don't get it. Why don't they get it? Why are they not being more understanding? But they're victims in their own right of like, they probably had these mental health things, but they didn't have an environment where they can speak about it. So they had to bottle it up in ways that was very bad for them. And so like they're they're victims, they can be victims in their own way. So that's one thing. Um, the speculative thing that I was talking about with the phrase man up, I suspect that like, I don't know, in like post-World War II or in like World War II, you have this environment where it's like the idea of talking about your feelings and like manning up in that context, like what else are you going to do? There's a war on, right? I don't know. This is my like completely nonsense speculation, but I suspect a lot of this language came about from these really difficult situations. And then the situation has changed but the legacy of the way we talked about dealing with emotionally difficult situations is stuck around. And it's just so inapplicable. Like now we are in a space where we can talk about our feelings. So why wouldn't we? But I mean, that's just know, potentially nonsense.
1: I think one big factor is social media, the immediateness of our yeah. society. Yeah, that's true. Which works for good and bad. Obviously, I'm not saying it's all bad because it's obviously not. Yeah. But one negative of it is that we all see everyone else's life in a flash and quick and all the positives. And it's very easy f- to get a false perception of reality, I think. I think it's easy. To, to, have you ever viewed social media in that way, where you where you see, maybe you only see the positives of someone else's life and you go, these people aren't feeling X, Y or Z or... Does that...? Yeah, definitely. I
2: mean, social... I. I... I don't know where I stand on this to be honest I kind of changed my mind on it quite a lot because I think there's definitely space for like I feel I've learned a lot about man, there's a therapist on TikTok who has like millions of followers whose name I can't remember um, and she's
0: helping loads of people Dr. Julie Smith that is then. the one yeah. Yeah. I'm she's reading brilliant. her book at the moment she's fantastic, It's fantastic right? it's brilliant I mean her book is literally I think just started it, but it's pretty much a what you learn about in therapy, you learn in a book because mm. she basically talks about the the fact that you can have anything. So she's got three, like every chapter goes on about like maybe need a motivation and she breaks it down and what you can help yourself within that. Mm. And it's just brilliant because it's for everyone who can't afford it or maybe doesn't want to or mm. you've got an
1: Accessibility eight, to it, yeah,
0: it's an eight pound book.
2: Yeah. yeah and uh I, and so in that sense, I'm like, look, there's definitely and so th- some arguments I've heard on this is that look, social media just reflects the problems society has anyway. So it's not necessarily the case that it makes it worse. I don't like I say, I don't know where I stand on it. Sometimes I feel kind of either way. There are loads of spaces where it's really positive, you can learn lots of stuff, but on the other hand, um there are loads of you're right, there's that like Though I have to say, I think TikTok as a platform is much better at that than Instagram. Because Instagram is like, even like, I'm 28 and I think Instagram is kind of lame now. Like, it's just, is it, it, there's this inherent pretense in it, which, you know, like, can be kind of annoying. Um, TikTok seems a lot more just like you're walking along the thing and you're filming and, um, but...
1: And the fact that she, Dr. Julia Smith, can post accessible stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And it reaches so many people. So, yeah, there's there's obviously so many positives to it as well. Like, I
2: think, I don't know, basically, in terms of like the macro question of is it good, is it bad for mental health, I don't know. But I think there are definitely ways any individual can learn to deal with it and like, like be on it in a way that's healthy. But it's probably something that we need to actually actively think about rather than just like, I feel like it should be the kind of like learning to ride a bike, you know, you all go through this phase where you learn to ride a bike. You should learn to be on social media in ways that don't like rot your brain and make you feel anxious or whatever. Um, but in terms of the broad, God, I don't know. Um, but there are ways of doing it which don't ruin your brain, I think, for sure.
0: And in terms of the best way for in a general friendship group, I think there's everything that we've summarised in this conversation. I mean, it's breaking down a stigma to an extent how would you say is a good way to approach a group which you think that like as you said your family or like anyone's family you might be worried not worried but like you've noticed things and you're not sure how they will react when you say anything around mental health is this dealing with your own mental health or you you're worried about their mental health or both Breaking, opening a conversation about it, it doesn't have to be about anyone in particular. This is just how would you bring about a a sort of space in which anyone can talk about it? Because at the end of the day, like that's how these increases and these really alarming rates of uh, mental health cases are going up. That's how we could bring them down, just opening Mm up avenues of conversation. Good question.
2: I think uh in I'll I'll answer that in like a personal sense, what I feel has helped in groups of friends, but then there's some wider policy stuff. So I think vulnerability is good. I think is a thing which we don't normally think. Vulnerability is a strength. Um and y- you always think It always happens, right? When somebody else is vulnerable in front of you, when somebody, I was at a show last night, actually, and somebody mentioned about their dad passing away and it was a really loud, rowdy gig and everyone goes quiet. Everyone just really listens to everything this guy's saying. And I know that having done things like that on stage before, that before that, he would have been like, oh, is this going to be weird? Are people going to think I'm weird? Am I going to kill the vibe? And it just doesn't. Everyone's just like in awe and respects the fact that this person has been really vulnerable. And I think that's always the case. Like when obviously in appropriate context with close friends and stuff, when you're, people are always afraid to be vulnerable because they think people are going, like, oh, you're so weird. It's normally you're like, oh, wow, thank you for sharing that. Like it's a very like, you feel honored that somebody has chosen to share that with you. And the more people can kind of understand that I think the more like they are to be vulnerable. And then when you're vulnerable with someone, they're going to be vulnerable back because you kind of open the door. And it's interesting, like, like I do these talks, right? And the whole thing is me talking about, you know, me being vulnerable basically or a certain kind of vulnerability. And then immediately afterwards, people will talk to me about it. They'll send me really like things that are going on in their life. And I'm like, that happens in friendship groups. That happens in like any conversations like, Being vulnerable is a strength, basically. Uh, And I think the more people can get that, the better. Um, And it can be scary, but I think the thing to remember is just imagine if your friend was telling you something that was going on with them, you're not going to throw it in their face. You're going to be like, oh, man, that's awful. Like, you may not know what to say or do, but you're going to want to be there. And it's the same in reverse. People always think, oh, if I say it, they're going to run away from me and hate me forever. But would you do that to them? No. Then that's probably a good idea that, um, you know, it's fine to talk about this thing. So that's on the, like, the personal level. Then on the the policy level, I feel like it's people in senior positions setting that example that it's fine to talk. And I think, so I was doing a speech at the Society of Heads and there was a head teacher who just awesome, awesome, awesome guy, uh, a guy called Gareth Dudes, um, and he started his talk. And so it's like 126 head teachers. Um, and he starts off by saying, at this period of time last year, I had a breakdown. And I told all the students at school. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because like people, they respect this person and they recognize that he's a human. He's fallible like all of us are. And then that kind of sets examples within like environments and hopefully changes culture and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think so those are the two approaches, I guess. Thank you very much, yeah. One, one thing to your point, to add on the vu- vulnerability idea and sort of role models and sort of combining all of the male mental health, social media, and if you put them all in one, people like The Rock, he, he mm. freely says, I'm, I've had therapy, I've struggled with my mental health. And I think that's quite key to your point, yeah. being vulnerable and seeing other people vulnerable actually changes the scene you go actually it's fine Mm. it's talking about it's a positive thing like johnny wilkinson the rugby player Mm. greatest rugby moment ever his kick in 2003 like that was what if you had to say rugby moment that he would be that and he's openly spoken about his mental health so i think as you said vulnerability is key yeah completely agree and it's
2: great that there are more and more people doing that i saw a thing with Uh, Freddie flintoff saying that he was bulimic at one point which is like again when people like that say things you're you're just like it it gives people a comfort like oh i'm not a weird person for feeling this other people feel this way too so yeah vulnerability is a strength that's uh
0: yeah definitely a thing do you think that it's a more which basis do you think that these conversations should happen more in so, do you think it has to be within education, within home, like, or just abroad? Because obviously, a lot of teachers, I think you'll know this. I think you've spoken about the statistic before, but it's the amount of percentage of people who have to be safeguarded. Uh, the safeguarding only, statistic. Only
1: so, hundred percent of schools have signed up to the physical uh, right, health, yeah, 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 statistics, yeah. Uh, f- physical so. health safeguarding, and only two percent have signed yeah. up to the mental health safeguarding. So is that your point? Yeah. So it's how would you...
0: Do you you think the ideal place for these changes to happen is the education system?
2: Um, I think as part of it, you can delete this if it's inappropriate, but I mean, I think the government don't do anything and the government should do more. Um, I I think many governments fail in this regard, but like, I think there's just this... Mental health is a really easy thing to be shown to do something superficially. So like going back to the point we were talking about therapy, I've just revealed my privilege in the fact that I can be like, yeah, I got a therapist. When I got a therapist quickly, it means I paid for a therapist. It can be between 50 and 70 pounds an hour. That's a lot of money, right? And I was like bottom of the barrel, you know, suicidal, really struggling. And I, was, I, I worked a job which meant I could afford that but that's insane like if some somebody people will have to wait like weeks for that months for that Maybe i've seen people
0: wait more 6 than, months yeah. to a, 6, six months, months to 12 months. yeah and years, it, yeah true. years now it is and it's and again feel free to delete all of this
2: if it, it starts getting inappropriate but i it depends on like what problem are we solving for here and i feel like on a like a governmental level the problem that's being solved for is not how do we make how do we help people feel happy, feel safe, feel secure? That, that's just not the problem that's being solved for at all. And I mean, we can get really into this, but like you think about how much funding's been cut to the NHS, it's just like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And mental health is one of these areas where it's just like, you need so much support, you need so much funding. It's such a problem that people are talking about. It keeps coming up. And it's easy to come in and do a speech and be like, we really care about this. We really want to do more about this. But it's like, where is the pound value of that theoretical support? And in an ideal world, absolutely every school would have access to the therapy. It's great, like schools like Epsom do, but there are state schools which don't have that. And it's like a, te- like a history teacher in the middle of a lesson. And then suddenly they have to be like, oh, that kid is not all right. Like they're yeah. probably struggling as well. And then the onus is on them to do more. So it, it, there's just this insane onus on, individ- on teachers to do like so much more on top of what is already a really difficult job. So like it, it, in an ideal world, absolutely everyone would have access to this resource. And I think in the long run of my career in, so obviously doing the music stuff, but in mental health, I definitely want to do more of this of like how, and this is where things like teen tips come in and you're giving access online for free and that's excellent. And like, you know, there's apps that come in and fill the gap, but they're filling a gap that shouldn't exist, yeah. right? And they're still obviously, you know, need you need everything. But if you're asking where it's a change, it's like everywhere. And where do you get everywhere from? Well, there's a starting point. There's, yeah, there's like more governmental input required. And I think, this, I think the schools that I've talked to actually do like really care about this and really do a great job they don't necessarily know how to go about it all the time but who does but they're trying and i i think it's very admirable how schools are trying um but yeah sorry i was a bit of a rant but um
1: yeah i think so obviously dr alex george yeah he's great. The, he has he got 81 million pounds or 79 a number around that figure for, as the new youth mental health ambassador so that's obviously relating back to before. It's very little in the <laughs> scale is, of a, which um, is very little. Yeah. but it's social media. Yeah, is for good. But to your point, but then it's a grand scale. And yeah, as you said, it's more of a
0: fix the water coming out of the bucket, mm. but it doesn't fix the actual root of the issue. It's yeah. more of a patch-up work. Hundred percent. Which I think stuff like a lot of therapists now talk about mindfulness based therapy I mean even if you look at top athletes in the world like there's uh, Daniel Ricciardo McLaren F1 driver his uh, uh, personal trainer uh, just talked about how um, mindfulness is a brilliant way to prepare for any activity yeah Uh, but things like that which are simple activities to integrate into a school timetable it's simple to integrate them I mean you've got um, breathing techniques which range from five to four to five minutes Mm but it's integrating them into life, which would almost, I'm not saying we'll get rid of the cause of having to go to a therapist, but it mm. reduces the, it will reduce the strain on the yeah. NHS's young uh, mental health system.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um,
0: there's definitely yeah. more
2: at all these levels that can be done. Um, like, why did it take before, you know, I have a bunch of, you know, personal experiences with this, friends passing away, does it come to... Like, that's when I learn about this information. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that's insane. And I went to a decent school. I went to a decent university. I was like a, you know, fairly middle... My, my dad's a doctor, right? Like, I'm fairly middle class or whatever. And it took, like, this accident of life to come across this and then sort of stumble into this kind of being part of my career. That's, I'm glad I'm doing it, but that's a terrible set of steps to get into this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's just, that reflects something being very wrong. You know, like I love doing these speeches, but the fact that I do these speeches is a reflection of something being very wrong. Like it shouldn't be a need to, for me to come in and be like, hey, by the way, you know, this is a good, th- like it just reflects quite a wide problem. And again, when it's this large societal coordination problem, who do you look at? I would say the government.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree. One question I was just going to ask was have you when you go into schools do you feel the obviously the perception at the start any assembly with a year group probably wouldn't get positive first thoughts but have you felt overall that after your talks you've had at least a proportion of the group positively react or what's the general reaction I hope so uh, uh
2: yeah I think so I mean look, I it obviously varies from school to school how things connect but like people keep people are still asking me to do it so I assume <laughs> I assume it's not going terribly but um I think the fact that like I do music and like sometimes people have heard of my songs or they've seen me do a stupid TikTok or something means that I'm more likely to be able to connect on a certain point And the way I do the speech is I start talking about when I was performing at Reading and Leeds Festival, which is a nice touch point because say I'm talking to a bunch of 17 year olds, it's very possible that they've either been to Reading and Leeds Festival or want to go to Reading and Leeds Festival. I have a friend who's been to Reading and Leeds Festival. And so, yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people doing a lot of great work in this space. I think maybe the thing that helps slightly when I do it is just the fact that you know, I know to you i I'm, I'm an old man, but like to some people, I'm slightly younger, and uh uh you know, I do music things which people have kind of potentially come across, so yeah, I think because of that, even though the messages are kind of obvious, it can connect in a way that
1: maybe other people might find a bit more tricky. so so you you spoke about maybe age or music or how you can relate yeah would you say that's probably also a key theme, just if you're go asking to help someone or you think someone's struggling maybe would you say that if that would be a tip, maybe find a way to relate to them in another way, and then that could build sort of traction for conversation or
2: yeah that's a um that's an interesting way of putting it,
1: and i agree
2: um I definitely do agree, right. I think the one thing to be cautious of, which is not what you're saying, but I think people can go from I need to relate to them into say somebody's speaking about X, Y, Z issue and you'll be like, oh, I have that as well. Or I know what that's like, I remember this. And like that can be helpful sometimes, but one of the most powerful things when it comes to supporting people. And again, this is one of the most common, the most common question that comes up at the talks is how do I support a friend who's depressed? And again, because of, you know, TV or whatever, you see somebody coming and giving an inspirational speech and changing the world for better. You kind of have this idea that this is how it works in real life. Like it just isn't. But one of the most powerful things you can do is just listen non-judgmentally and just really, really listen and like let people speak and understand. So... I know this wasn't what you were saying, but I think people can take that. Let me try relate to them to let me be like, oh man, I know exactly what you're going through. Because realistically you don't. No one does. But what you can do is listen openly and in in the context of, you know, normally you'll be friends with them in that, you know, if you're talking to them anyway. Uh, But yeah, the whole listening non-judgmentally is a surprisingly powerful thing.
1: I think it's also a thing of empathy versus sympathy. Like you said... You can you don't have to be you don't have to be there and experience it. You just, just listen. Mm. Just be in a
2: don't be a mouth. Yeah, exactly. Sit in the room with them. You don't need to Yeah, exactly. There's a video, maybe it can we can link it to it. It's the Brene Brown on empathy. It's like this two minute video with a speech that she gives and she makes that distinction really well, but it's animated in a fun way with bears and stuff, so it's a fun way to make the point about empathy. Um, but
0: yeah, exactly, you're exactly right. It's really interesting to see how just a simple conversation can help someone so much. Like even just lending, uh, is it the um, Capital, TV, uh, Capital Radio presenter? Roman Kemp. Roman Kemp. Roman Kemp, yeah. His He's documentary, great. it's brilliant. It's one of them talks about, one of the kids he interviews, they talk about, ask, how are you doing twice? Yeah. Which yeah. is the single most important thing that has come out of that documentary, I think. Mm. Because mm. it's
1: British culture, we have we don't so, say hello, we you're, say, you're hey, right. how are you? Which we're not really asking how mm. someone is. Mm. So if you are asking, I think to your point exactly, and Roman Kemp's point, it was that, ask twice because yeah, then yeah. you're actually asking instead of yeah 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 very it's, true
0: you're opening that conversation which can make someone feel a world better mm. about themselves about what they're going through like even if their issue won't be fixed over a conversation no. but it will realize they have someone to support them through it mm. but also realize that it's not how you want to say it but it's it's not as big as it might appear to the person Definitely. who's going through it. It's just a small bump in the road, if you want, yeah. if you want to say. Yeah. It's quite interesting to notice between people. Definitely.
1: Definitely, yeah. There's another, there's another brilliant video online which shows the difference between physical health and mental health. And it's a brilliant video as in if we treated physical health like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like the stigma treats mental health, And it highlights the issue of not being aware of symptoms or not being aware of it until it's happened or until the problem's grown or grown at all, just grown bigger than it was before. So I think that could be something we could clip as well. It's a basic TikTok, but it illustrates a good point that even though it might not seem big, it's sometimes bigger than it would seem. Yeah, so, yeah. Talking about it, and
2: yeah, the physical health, mental health parallels I really, really like because they we get physical health to some extent, right? We kind of understand that it's a bit of a thing, um, but we don't. Like with mental health, I actually think they're remarkably similar in in many more ways than we realise. So, like, say you go through a breakup or. You know, someone dies or something sad happens, whatever. The healing process for an emotional problem, for, I feel like is more similar than we realize to a physical problem. Say you break your leg um, or whatever. Y- you can't fix, like there's, there's nothing you can magically do to fix it. But it's a you, process. Yeah, you put your leg up, you get some bed rest, you look after yourself, your body kind of does some stuff, it gets better. I feel like the same is true of emotional things. You can't fix it. You can't just like, you know, fix it instantly, but you can look after yourself. The emotional of that uh, emotional equivalent of that being you talk to your friends, you, you know, you do whatever you need to do to kind of feel in a comfortable environment. And, you know, within six months or whatever the time period, you just kind of heal and in the same way your body and suddenly you're walking again and suddenly you're happy again. And, um, it takes time but I think the parallels really are there um, between the two and it seems that when you make those examples people seem to get it um,
0: yeah and digressing a bit from that point from your talks how much do you feel it or just in general how much do you feel that there's a difference between how men react and fem- females react great so, question
2: So, um, I think often when it comes to the way that guys react, it's I tend to get a lot of messages from guys being like, saying an issue that they've never said before for the first time. So they'll be like, actually, I've been feeling exactly like this. Whereas with girls, like it tends to be, or girls or women, I've done it for companies as well. Like the the reaction tends to be something like, thank you for being open. So I think it probably is still valuable, but like for them, but often I feel like what I'm getting from that is for guys, it's more of a, oh my God, I can finally speak about this. Whereas for girls, it's like, they it's probably a reminder that they can speak about this and that it's useful for them, but they've probably already done it. Or like, they kind of get this speaking about, their you know, I'm making some gendered assumptions here, but like, I don't think they're particularly harmful ones. And also, you know, at least some of this seems to be, you know, from my experience anyway, true that... It feels like, you know, girls are better at talking about their feelings. They kind of talk about it anyway, sometimes. And that creates quite like a healthy, yeah, it's healthy. And, but for a lot of guys, it does feel like once I've this talk, this is the first time they've ever talked about it because I've just been very vulnerable with them. I'm a, you know, man with a beard. And so like it, it, if it gives them a permission, which they, they may not have felt before, which is interesting, um, I mean, look, I've had similar interactions with girls as well where they say something really profoundly quite open, which maybe they wouldn't have otherwise before. But in general, I'd say that's the trend, um, which is quite interesting. I've never actually thought about it in those terms before. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a difference in the reaction.
1: Yeah, I do. One thing I do think, to your point, is that like, just from like friend groups and like just generally, I think, to your point, the stigma and men don't speak about it as openly mm. and I think that's just through societal roles which have seriously predated and I think it's something that you can if you work through it and recognise recognize it and understand it instead of also labelling it as a problem mm. I think as a society it's easier to get through as well to your point. Definitely and
2: the thing that and, you know, this is definitely not what's being said here, but I have seen it on like TikTok and stuff. It makes me very frustrated where men's mental health is a unique problem. I agree, but like, we're all in it together. Like, let let it not be like, ah, oh, men have definitely. it worse than women. I, I know you're not saying that, but I, I actually saw a TikTok on the way here where it was that. And I was just like, oh, you're so stupid. Frustrating Yeah, sure. it's just like, ah, oh, you're so close to the point, but then you missed it. Like, this is so dumb. Um, and it is like a very much we're all in it together, and like, like everyone benefits. Like, uh, I saw a Jimmy Carr interview, and he made a really good point that, like, being happier for being happier is great for everyone around you. The analogy being, you know, you're on a plane when the oxygen masks come down, you need to put your own one on first before you can help anyone else. And having better mental health is is good for everyone, like whoever you are, girls, boys, whatever. And um, the more we see it as like this, oh, we're all in it together, while still acknowledging that there are different problems for different groups of people, um, the better, uh, basically. But yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, let it not be that, for example, like, I mean, the transgender mental health statistics are like frightening. Yeah, they're worrying. Um, yeah. And so again, it's one of those things that we should ignore. we're all in this together. This is It affects different people in different ways. But yeah, the don't do that thing that annoying people on TikTok do where they're like, oh, men's mental health is the biggest problem there's ever been. And
0: it's like, it's a very big problem. We're all in it together, basically. It's one of those things which we've all seen the statistics. You Mm. acknowledge it's a problem, but there's still this complete overall stigma. I mean, back to our original point about half an hour ago of there's a stigma around going to see a therapist, for God's sake. Mm. Like it's Mm. the most simple conversation but it's seen as the biggest like a year and a half ago today like if you said it's recent but it's still true like if you said oh yeah i'm going to see a therapist people would like oh god are you okay like what's the
2: reaction in school when people say that
0: i think it's more are you okay but at the same time it's a lot more casual than i think it would used That's to good. be That's so i think hear. it like That's even really if my personal reaction i think if I um, someone said it to me like two years ago it might be a bit more like oh it's like uh, how do I deal with it's this like yeah but like yeah. now it's like cool like uh, uh, what's that how's that how's that how's what advice did I give you like yeah, if you yeah, don't mind yeah, sharing yeah. like it's interesting to see other people's approaches to it because yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just one of those things as you said like you can all learn from everybody god you're so much smarter than I was when I was <laughs> 16 and good for you too
2: um Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I I say that sort of... And it sounds flippant, but it's not. Like, I I do these talks and I talk to 16, 17-year-olds. And I'm like, damn. (laughs) You're, you're, you know, in 5, 10 years' time... Like, I think people don't... I don't want to say people of your age, but people of your age don't necessarily realize how much more emotionally intelligent... Or maybe you do, I don't know. You're a lot more emotionally intelligent than, like... I don't know, definitely we were. And... That's great. That's a, it's actually really nice to see. Um, it's part of the fun of doing this where you speak to a 16, 17 year old and they're struggling, but they're doing all these things, which I'm like, you're going to be fine. You don't know that you're going to be fine, but I know you're going to be fine because yeah, I've seen it and I've seen the kind of things you're doing and it's gonna be, you're going to be fine. And it's kind of nice to be able to say that with a lot of certainty and be like, you know what, you're cool, man. You're going to be good,
0: um, which is nice. So good for you. So just summarising, you think that completely that over time it will definitely get better. Like not only like, I think like my point is people will adapt to be able to have these conversations, but it's more of a question of how long will it take and everything like Mm. that, which is just getting across to people now, which it's a long process, but hopefully it'll sort itself out to an extent. Yeah. What are your
2: thoughts? It's... I guess this is in terms of like broader societal change where you think about racism, sexism, whatever-ism, whatever change, like it takes longer than you'd want it to, but it does feel like it happens. I mean, when I was at school, like the biggest or what huge thing that was a genuine political debate was whether gay marriage should be a thing, which like to you probably just seems like, I mean, obviously... Right, yeah, and like, now, no, people yeah, would just be like, it wouldn't even be a thing, yeah. right? Whereas like, when I was at school, this was like a genuine thing that people were debating. And like, I think it was what, 2013, it became legal in this country? I could be wrong on that, but not long ago. And, you know, now we're having various other, you know, there's there's always a, an issue of the time and whatever, but it does feel like, what oh, you say. sorry?
1: Yeah, no, it's just another, there's always
2: a technical yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Like and... I, It feels like it happens, but slower than we want. And, you know, global warming is obviously like people approaches to global warming is another example of that kind of societal change, which we hope happens quicker than it moves at a no pun intended glacial pace. And you're hoping that, uh, yeah, but it happens. It, It does happen. And in the case of mental health, I feel like I've seen enough of, the change firsthand to know that it does get better. It definitely, I wish it was quicker, but like it does improve. But that doesn't, you know, it improves because of things like this as opposed to in spite of things like this. So it's, you know, you need to do the work and have the conversation and acknowledge that look, it's going to take longer than you want, but it will happen. Um, and it has already happened in in lots of different ways. The fact that we're having this conversation is evidence of it happening, of there being societal progress. Like I, I, like I you know, if I could go back in time and, approach you know any school like this and be like hey we should do a podcast on mental health like I just don't think that would have wouldn't have got much traction maybe maybe it would have I don't know but I mean I'm just thinking of when I was at school and the way that people talked about mental health and I just don't think something like this would
0: have been a thing it's good to see how things will progress and yeah life moves on but things other things move along with it sort of thing yeah exactly yeah Yep. Yeah. Um, so, just wrapping up. Thanks uh, from Ben and I. Thanks a lot to obviously Alicia from Teen Tips, Ardash um, for all speaking with us, and uh, Miss Keevil for helping organise it. Then, of course, Stan Richardson and Mark Bishop for from the AV side of things. So. Thanks for coming and safe journey soon. Thank you very much. Thanks. So from my perspective,
2: I just want to say to three of you, it's been fantastic listening and it's so nice to hear three
0: guys talking about mental health because it doesn't often happen that we get something like this together. So thank you so much and for being so honest and, and um,
2: thank you to Epsom for hosting, uh, allowing this to happen. And I'm really, really looking forward to hearing it, the final polished version. Thanks, Stan. <laughs> Uh, in the in the wellbeing
1: hub cheers guys